Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for a special day set aside. Thank you that we can gather together as believers to worship you. I pray that you will be with Todd as he shares from your word. Give him a clear mind and boldness to share what you've laid on his heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus, the name that I trust thrills your heart and your mind and your soul as you meditate on all that he has done for you. Two men were passing through a field in the country one day, and they realized something was problematic. They were being charged by a bull. They started to run for the nearest fence, but it was soon apparent that they could not make it before the bull would be upon him. One said to the other, Put up a prayer, John. We're in for it. John answered, I can't. I never have made a public prayer in my life. But you must, said his companion. The bull is soon to be upon us. Pray quickly. All right, said John. I'll give you the only prayer I know. The one my father used to repeat. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. Thanksgiving. Genuine thankfulness is more than lip muscles forming words make us truly thankful. Genuine thanksgiving is an affection of gratitude in the heart. While many people are grumbling that roses have thorns, a grateful heart is grateful that thorns have roses. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. One author put it this way, A gratitude is a currency that we can mint for ourselves and spend without fear of bankruptcy. I was meditating on that. Gratitude is a currency that we can mint for ourselves. What, what do you think? Um, and we can spend it without fear of bankruptcy. Uh, my question is, how do you make it? There are some people who are good at creating their own currency of gratitude, and there are some people who aren't. And all of us can identify. I don't need to have you raise your hands. All of us know people who aren't very good at making gratitude a currency in their life, and all of us know people who it doesn't matter what hits them or knocks them down. Uh, somehow they come up with enough money, currency of gratitude, to they keep going. <clears throat> And it's enjoyable to be around grateful people. This message was good for me to study. How do they get to be that way? How do they get to be grateful people? Uh, Nobody says, oh, really? We have to be around them? They're just grateful all the time. It's enjoyable to be around grateful people. How do they get to be that way? Before we consider how people get that way, how important it is that we are that way, I want you to think about the importance of being a grateful person. It's impossible to grumble and be content with what you have. Absolutely impossible. It's impossible for you to not be someone who is grateful. You're not that person, but you're rejoiced evermore. It's absolutely impossible. In everything, give thanks. That's out. Neither murmur ye. That's out. Long-suffering, out. Joy, peace, 
They're all gone. Um, in fact, Bible scholars say, as soon as you become ungrateful, you're breaking over 135 commands of God just like that. Because these, these are things that he's, he, he doesn't suggest joy. He doesn't suggest being grateful. That, that's a command because of what He has done for us. We'll cover that in a little bit. I found it interesting in Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift describes the laws of the Lilliputians. The Lilliputians. I thought, wow, if you're going to write a book, at least come up with names that you can pronounce if they're not real anyway. Lilliputians were these little people and they had their own laws. And Gulliver was there one day and they tied him up. I don't know the whole story. I know some of it. But the law of the Lilliputians was this. Ingratitude is reckoned among them as a capital crime. What do you think about that? If you murder someone, you're going to be in for it. If you steal, it's a capital crime. You're in for it. If you're ingrateful, if you're a little Lilliputian, you're in for it. Same as all the others. If you want to steal, you're in for it. If you're, and it is a capital crime to be ingrateful. That's a bit severe. What do you think? What do you think, Patrick? A little severe. Uh, can I remind you of an account, though? The Israelites didn't like their food. That was a capital crime. You know how many died? 24,000 people? Wow. They grumbled against Moses when God destroyed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. That was a capital crime. Do you know how many died from that? They get to the edge of the promised land and they send in spies. And when the spies came back, they said, oh boy. And you know what? They got upset. They become ungrateful and they said, why didn't we stay in Egypt? Do you know how many died from that? We're talking tens of thousands of people. Um, This is a capital crime with God. I, I read that... Law of the Lilliputians and thought, boy, that's really way extreme. But as, as you look at it, do you really, do we understand how serious God looks at ungratefulness? <clears throat> if gratitude is a currency and we can mint it for ourselves, spend it without fear of bankruptcy, how can we make it? How can we be a people who are truly grateful? I think of um, grateful people as unselfish people. Um, You know, some of the most grateful people that I know put up with the worst kind of circumstances that I've ever even imagined. It's not about, well, if everything goes my way, I'll really be a grateful person. I mean, that's how many people operate. But the the truth is, is that's that's not truly being a grateful person. That's just being thankful with my lips. Uh, kind of making my muscles move at my mouth. But when I am selfish, it's impossible to be grateful because all I can see is me. When I am godly, it's easy to be grateful. All I can see is my Lord Jesus. And even pain can make me more like Him. So when I'm selfish, self-centered, it's impossible to be grateful because all I can see is me. How does this affect me? And how do I want and what do I want? It's all about that. When I am godly, what I see is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And even pain, let alone good times, even pain can make me more like Him. That's why the Scripture says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything? How can that be? How can that be? Does that mean that as things are coming at us and we're going to get wiped out, we feel low emotionally and it's like, you know, we feel like we're getting run over by circumstances. Is it then that we say, Lord, indeed make us truly grateful for what we're about to receive? Does that make it good then? At least you brought up the courage to be grateful, right? I, I think gratefulness is so much deep, deeper than that. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's why Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rejoice in infirmity. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's even grateful for the things that are smacking him. Because it can make him more like Christ. I believe if we don't have that mindset of focus... Uh, you're not going to be grateful. I I don't care how much you move your lips and how well you're good or how good you are at moving these muscles to say thank you. In our hearts, we won't be grateful until we come to understand that God truly um, is the greatest joy of our life when we embrace His sanctification in our lives. There was a man who traveled around speaking on how to respond to a physically abusive home. He described his dad as a man of rage. He described his dad as a furious man for many, many years of his life. And he would try, he was a preacher, and he would try to help others understand. And as he was describing his home life, it, it, you couldn't help but just see that edge of bitterness there. It's hard to describe. Uh, it's hard to just pin down and say, you know, you're a bitter man. And this is why you're a bitter man. It's just You could just sense that edge there. <clears throat> but I chatted with his brother. I didn't know that speaker very well at all. Didn't know his brother fairly well. And I asked his brother, I said, how did you overcome the things that were disappointments in your growing up years? And his brother said, oh, I have so much to be grateful for. I come from a good home, a godly home. I'm thinking, what gives? All right? Something's not lining up here. He said, oh no, my father did the best he could to instruct us in a godly way. I have so much to be thankful for and all that I learned from him. I still remember sitting across the table from this man and I, I actually asked him, you mean you learned how not to do things? He said, no. No, I had... A dad that helped me in ways that most children don't have even a clue of. I, I was blessed. Two men come from the same home, but they have a vastly different focus. And I look at the lives of those two brothers today. One focused on the mistakes of others. One focused on what benefited him. One was thankless, and rightly so in his perspective. This is why I don't need to respect my dad. The other one was thankful. What's the difference? Focus. Perspective. One saw self and the abuse he suffered. 
once saw how things made him more like Jesus Christ. And he received the benefit that God had for him in that relationship. One of those men is successful today, and one is not. Do I even need to tell you which one is and which one is not? Gratefulness. Focus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's stand to read this passage. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You may be seated. If you're going to manufacture gratefulness in your life, if your life is going to be a process of producing gratefulness, this is what you're to be thinking on. We tend to see the negatives... And if we tend to see the negatives and focus on the negatives, it's impossible to be a grateful person. I believe all of us need to have the focus, first of all, of this statement. Lord, you've been too good to me. We have to have that focus. Lord, you've been too good to me. You've been too good to me to bless me with a church. So, well, no, I, you know, I might. Really? You've been too good to me to bless me with my family. You've been too good to me to bless me with the wife that you blessed me with. With the partner you blessed me with. You've been too good to me. You tell me one good thing that you deserve. Just one. That you actually deserve. I'm telling you, we can stand before the Lord and worship Him and say, Lord... You've been too good to me. I've been given so much. Anything that's good and perfect comes down from above. That's what Scripture says. Everything. You didn't drum that up on your own. Everything good has been given to us. Lord, You've been too good to me. I was meditating in Luke chapter 19. You don't need to turn there. You remember when Jesus was driving or riding on that young donkey, the colt, and the triumphal entry, we call it, as he was coming down the hill, or up a hill, or however it was, but he stopped, and he looked at Jerusalem. And he started weeping. On this triumphal entry, he's weeping. And he said to Jerusalem, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Now, the Jewish leaders thought their capacity for peace would be filled if they could have gotten rid of Jesus. If you would go to a person in Jerusalem, to a Jewish leader, and say, what do you think would make you grateful? 
And what do you think would fill your capacity for peace? And they would say, get rid of Jesus and we got it. The very problem that they wanted rid of was the very thing they needed to open their eyes. The blessing was available to them right there, but they looked at it as a problem. Um, I'm a light like them. And you're a lot like them. The Lord had something that they could fill, that could have filled their cup up to the brim and full and running over, but they couldn't see what it was. And I have to pray, open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see what will fill my capacity for peace. I believe when we see Christ and embrace His likeness being worked in our lives, our capacity for peace and gratefulness will be full and running over. But we must, we must see Christ and embrace His likeness being worked in our lives. That means there's rough spots that are going to be embraced. That means there's difficulties that are going to be embraced because we realize, no, this will make me more like Jesus. That's why we can give thanks in everything, not in just the things that we like. Perspective. If you could only see all the things available to your peace, I'm challenged by Jesus' thought. How many things are hidden from mine eyes? And it's not because they're not there. It's because I don't have the focus. I can't see them. Even though in all of our training and all of our teaching and all of our years of Anabaptist history, there's peace there and we don't even see it. We can't even see it with our eyes. If we would only know the things that belong to our peace. Um, I think the second focus that I want to look at is when things come our way, do we focus on opportunity or do we focus on disappointments? Uh, Gaylord started it off by, why do those tests come this morning? Inevitably, disappointments will come. All of us know how it feels when others disappoint us. And how many of you have disappointed yourselves? Yeah, that's all of us too. We can't just focus on others' disappointments. The reality of us facing disappointments is a true reality. That's, that's the world that we're living in. It's part of humanity after the curse. There's misunderstandings. There's hard responses. There's unloving or unthoughtful words or actions or pain or sickness or persecutions or death. You know, as I'm getting older, I've, I realize there's things that I have to do without that I planned on having. A sound mind, right? A healthy body, a good memory. There's things that you're going to have to learn to do without that you plan on having. And they're also going to put up with things that you didn't plan on having. You didn't plan on having them around. Uh, you're going to put up with those. So you're going to put up with things that you didn't plan on. And you're going to be missing some things that you planned on having. Disappointments in life. When disappointments come our way, though, that gives many people enough food for thought to chew on wholeheartedly for the rest of their week, for the rest of their day. They love chewing on disappointment. Did you hear about the funeral? Did you hear about this person sick and that person sick? Did you hear about this struggle and that struggle? We feed on these disappointments. And I'm not saying it's wrong to request prayer for a struggle. But is there someone who's saying, praise the Lord and I'm grateful for what God has done for me? 
Do, do, do people hear that? Not because it's just, well, we've got to exercise these muscles and say these words and it will give a good impression. Do people sense that from our lives? I am truly living grateful for everything God has given for me. I deserve none of it. He's been way too good to me. When disappointments come, do we look at them as opportunities? Disappointments can consume us, and when they consume us, they will cripple opportunity because it cripples gratitude. The colorful, colorful entertainer and violinist, I love this guy's name, Niccolo Paganini. Sounds like he ate a lot of paninis, but Niccolo Paganini. He was standing before a packed house playing a very difficult piece on his violin. An orchestra surrounded him with magnificent support. Suddenly, one string on his violin snapped. It hung down from his instrument. Beads of perspiration popped on his forehead. He frowned but continued to play with all his might. He improvised beautifully, one string hanging. To the conductor's surprise, a second string broke. This is not good news. And shortly after, a third string broke. How many strings he got left? One string. Now there's three limp strings hanging from Paganini's violin. And the master performer completed his difficult composition on the remaining one string. The audience jumped to its feet at its the conclusion, and in good Italian fashion, okay, these, this was not a Mennonite gathering, it's good Italian fashion, they jumped and yelled and screamed and yahoo! They, they were really giving them the hoo-ha. And it was just an uproarious crowd. Paganini eventually was able to silence the crowd, and they all were thinking, you know, we'd love an encore. But you can't do it with one string. He had him seated, most of them for to sit down. He looked over to the conductor and said, Start the encore. Conductor, okay, if you say, started into the encore. He placed a single stringed instrument beneath his chin and said, Paganini with one string. And he played that encore beautifully on one string. It's amazing. People today try to mimic it, and you can see it on YouTube. He, will, he wrote a composition by that. One string, and he played the whole encore. Paganini on one string. Disappointments come to us all. But the world has wants to see what does he look like with one string? How does he sound? Your church will hear what you sound with one string. Well, hey, look, I got disappointments. You know all the things that went wrong. And I only got one string. I bet you're grateful you got one string. Most of us aren't. Um, there's, not many, there's not very many American Christians, Mennonites included, 
who sound very well on one string. There's not very many. When the disappointments come and we feel, hey, what can we do? It's so easy to become frustrated. When you're frustrated at family, when you're frustrated at church, when you're frustrated at others, brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we going to sound? It's impossible to sound right. Paganini on one string. Do you remember the account... um, I don't have time to turn there. Acts 16. Paul and Silas, they were beat. Before they were beat, it says that they tore their clothes off and beat them. And this is not assumed abuse. This is not uh, just in the mind, thinking of abuse in the mind. This is an actual beating and flogging and screaming at them. They had the whole town against them. And they threw them in the inner prison in stocks. There we're down to one string. And you know how they made that sound? At midnight, there was singing. There was singing. A fellow came in the store the other day and he said, You know, this country's going down the tube. And let me tell you why. Did you see the election? You know how many Democrats were elected? And you know what? There's even a homosexual governor down in Colorado. And he was, he was going on. And you know what? I, I, I did tell him. How are we going to sound when disappointments come to our nation? Mennonites with one string. Take away your freedom. Take away your comfort. Take away your easy, we'll just melt right into the community. Let's see how you stand. Let's take everything away and even mock you for what you stand for. Now you're in the place of Paul and Silas. Paganini on one string. How do you sound? I believe all of us think well. All of us think a good battle. But the reality of how do we sound, that needs to be asked by the people around us, really. Paganini on one string. They counted themselves a privilege. They counted themselves indeed a privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they felt God was too good to them. Opportunity or disappointment? What will be our focus? Dr. Viktor Frankl, a courageous, very courageous Jew, had become a prisoner during the Holocaust. He endured years of indignity and humiliation by the Nazis before finally being liberated. At the beginning of Dr. Frankl's ordeal, he was marched into the Gestapo courtroom. His captors had taken away his home, his family, his freedom, everything he owned. They even took his watch. They even took his ring. And they took all the clothes off of his body and put him in a bright lighted room in the front of the Gestapo Inquisition, you might say. And they were roughly interrogating him and falsely accusing him. They wanted to kill him. Dr. Victor felt like a helpless pawn in the hands of the brutally 
prejudiced, sadistic men. But as he was there under those bright lights with nothing, absolutely nothing to call his own, he realized something. He said he felt like a helpless pawn in the hands of a brutal, prejudiced, sadistic man, but he said, no, that isn't true. Dr. Victor suddenly realized there's one thing no one could ever take from him. He still had the power to choose his own attitude. He still had that power. No matter what anyone would ever do to him, no matter how hard they beat him, regardless of what the future held for him, the attitude choice was always his to make. It can never be conceded or taken away. It is always owned by you. Bitterness or forgiveness, it's up to you. Dr. Victor. Determination or self-pity, it's up to you. Enduring pain, learning to blame, or living graciously? Dr. Victor, that's up to you. Going to live frustrated or are you going to live grateful? That's up to you. No matter how hard they beat him, or how much they humiliated him or demeaned him, his attitude was always up to him. I believe we have to understand that fact if we're ever going to get victorious in being grateful people. Your attitude is up to you. The Gestapo wanted to hear what Dr. Victor Frankl sounded like on one string. Gratefulness. You ever feel like, you know, if one more thing goes wrong, I think my mind's going to fly apart. Well, you're down to one string. How do you sound? We don't get practice on this. All right, This, this is not a thing of, well, we're, we're practicing and we, we hope we get better. You know, gratefulness is important and everything in my life I need to learn gratefulness for. And that's a real challenge. No, that's not the challenges. That's, that is, must be a change in us, not just a challenge in us. But there must be a commitment that I will be grateful. There, there must be something within us. This is not a practice run. This is the real deal. Am I living daily in gratefulness? Dr. Finney Curavilla had a test at Harvard University. He's a professor today, but when he was in school taking a test, they gave him a test, and this was an extremely important exam. He had a test booklet, and they were allowed to write in that booklet. Space was available for figuring or for notes and coming up with your answer in that test booklet. But they also were given a answer booklet, that after you found the answer, you needed to fill in A, B, C, or D, or fill in the blank. This was the answer booklet. You had to have your answers over here. Kind of like those tests... Read the directions to yourself as I read them all out. Do not start before I say begin. And when I say stop, you need to stop, right? Teachers know that the, the cat test. <clears throat> Every test started at the same time, and the professor instructed the pupils that at the end of the time allotted, she will say, pencils down, stand up, the test is over. 
Every pencil must go down. You must stand up. The test is over. She said, begin. The students were hard at it. At the allotted time, the teachers said, pencils down, stand up. Everybody stood up in the room, put their pencil down and stood up. Except for one girl who sat right in front of Finney. And you know, it was like you could hear a pin drop. All you could hear across that whole room was this girl writing as fast as she possibly could on her answer key. The teacher repeated, Pencils down, stand up. The girl continued writing as fast as she could write. And you know, people are like, you know, just, boy, what do we do now? This is, we're headed for one of these here, you know. The teacher stood up and walked briskly over to that student, grabbed that pencil out of her hand, put it down and said, stand up. And she stood up. And everybody's like, whew. The class dismissed. Finney, later on after the tension and emotion died down, saw the young girl out in the hallway. There's a few others there and they said, you know, why did you keep writing? Why, why was he trying so frantically to write when she said, pencils down, stand up? She said, well, I had a problem. I, I was going through that test booklet and I had all the answers figured out and I had them all right. And I wrote them all in that extra space. And I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all the answers down and when I get them all down, I'm going to put them over on my answer key. But unfortunately, when I got all the answers down, it was pencils down, stand up, and I didn't have anything on my answer key. You know, that's life. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to tell all of us, pencils down, stand up. And when the pencils are down and we stand up, it, it doesn't matter how much in our test booklet we have the answers together. Makes no difference. You know what matters? Were those answers real in my life? Because if they weren't, this does us no good. All of us know we need to be grateful. This is not a new thought. But I wonder, is that answer actually lived in my life with the people that I interact with? I'm going to be grateful. Just don't get too close to me. And just don't bug me too long, right? That's not the answer. Well, I'm good at being grateful as long as everything goes my way because I have an opinion of truth that's always right. So, you know, if you follow me, I'll be grateful for your interaction with me. That's not right either. Gratefulness. We have to get this right. This has to be more than a challenge to us. We have to have it right on the, explan- on the, on the actual answer of my life being lived out. It has to be right. How do you sound on just one string? Is it an opportunity? Or is it a frustration? Where is my focus? 
Is my focus on self and all I can see is how this affects me or is my focus on Jesus Christ and realizing He's given me way much more than I deserve and I want to be more like Him? If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Father in Heaven, we're so grateful for the gift of salvation. Thank You that we can be found in Jesus Christ because of all that has been accomplished for us. Lord, if we would just understand the things given for our peace, to have our cups full and running over, to have us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for the times where we've become frustrated. Um, We've become enamored with disappointment rather than realizing you have a desire to make us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the answers would be real in our life. I pray, Lord, that as the world listens, they can hear what a Christian would sound on just one string. Lord, enable us, I pray, to do your will. I pray, Lord, that your word would not just challenge us, that they would change us today. In Jesus' name, amen.